Okay, thank you, Pastor, for that. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians 4th chapter to start with. I use the word passive because these are things we don't directly, intentionally deal with in our sanctification. <clears throat> chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verse, verse 3. For this is the will of God. What is it? Your sanctification. And he goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not in the passions of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I think that's the idea. Goes on to talk a little bit more about that. But what is the will of God, our sanctification? We, we just have been trained and taught a lot about sanctification. Thanks, Nate. That was... Um, very concise and very comprehensive uh, addressing of sanctification, which was rich. And I don't know if you missed some of that. It would be nice if we could. We probably have that on the website or something, don't we? Okay. So if you haven't had a chance to go through that, that's important. So try to remember. I probably use this chair once in a while because of my hip. But um, in justification, between justification and glorification, the bridge is sanctification. Sometimes we are resting in our justification and forget that the bridge that's over the crevasse of the world is sanctification. It looks, you know, creepy. On my mind, I, I go right to the uh, south rim of the Grand Canyon. Anyways, they have so many of these rope bridges over these crevasses. And, and it's like, uh, wow, who would even go over that? It's shaky, but it, they work, and people have been doing this for a long time. Sanctification is a, is a rough journey sometimes. It's tough. But remember, between that justification and glorification, we have that sanctification we have to, we have to endure, we have to submit to uh, in preparation for Christ, uh, seeing him. And so today um, I'm going to talk a bit about this. It's, it's going to be a, a, a little bit longer series. I think it's going to be more than just a one class. I think we'll do a couple of classes out of it. Uh, we'll land the plane whenever it's time, so I'm not worried about it, and we'll continue on. Keep your papers. I do have another one that will follow up with this as well. In saying that, <clears throat> let's turn our Bibles again to start the process uh, to Hebrews, the, to uh, Hebrews 13 chapter. Hebrews 13. And while you're turning there, let me just remind you that the Hebrew writer... Um, was trying to make a, a point, an exit emphasis, if you will. He was, he was making a, on his quick exit here, he wanted to make a point on some really important things. I say this all the time when we talk in terms of combat and, and um, military police. If you know you only have one or two things to tell someone, you're working with your team, I'm thinking in our terms of in St. Louis with our search warrants. We would, you only have you have several guys on your team, and you only have a couple things to tell them before you actually hit the door. Um, and so this is sort of what the Hebrews writer is doing. He's like, okay, no, listen, don't forget your Christian walk. Here, here's some things that you have to think about. That was the exit. But take a look at this, starting in verse one, Hebrews thirteen, verse one. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for therefore some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, 
as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can be confidently say that the Lord is our helper, is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Of course, that's taken from Isaiah 51 or maybe Psalm 118.6. Um, he's quoted there in that part. It's interesting that this is uh, the, the parting thing. I made an outline of this, and I wanted to show you a couple of these things. And what I'm doing is I'm laying the groundwork for us to address a really very concerning passive uh, sanctification killer that really plagues all of us. We just typically don't address it. We just blow it off and we say, oh, it's just part of the fall. And we, and we don't really realize how it's causing a problem. Now, before I switch gears here and I go to this outline, I want you to write something down for you. I'll make a note of something that could be helpful. It's helpful in this saying this, <clears throat> whatever you don't deal with in the secret parts of your life, whatever sinful things you don't deal with in the secret parts of your life, God will. Okay? Whatever you don't deal with directly, intentionally, with the secret parts of your life, what you lust after, what you want, what you desire, where your weaknesses are, where it's just my personality, really, whatever you don't deal with, God will. Because, that's a comma, who you are in secret is who you really are to God. Now, we're not just telling you how to live a religious life. We don't have the Best Life Now book going for us. We're not trying to just uh, be the best Baptist we can find. We really want to get down to the really hard issues because typically when we get to the sanctification killer here, this you have to understand that this has a lot to do with the joy and happiness in our walk with Jesus Christ. You'll be the most miserable Christian on earth walking that rope <laughs> bridge to glorification. Uh, you're going to get to the other side, but you know the joy you have, will, the peace that you have will be missing. And so we want to get to the real fiber. And this was the first one. There's four of them altogether, but I picked this one because in case... I don't make it. I wanted to at least give you this part. Uh, if glory comes faster for me, then I just want to make sure. This was, uh, this was and plus this meant this meant most to me. This was really dealt with me first, and it was really helpful. So the outline I was talking about is the top uh, ethical imperatives for God's people, and this is what I did. Um, I I wrote them down this way, and you know. This could be, you know, construed in lots of different ways, but basically broke this down into, if you wanted to categorize it, think of others over yourself. Everybody, we talk about that in this church a lot. There's, I think there's 590 churches in the community area, County Bedford and all around surrounding areas. And you're not going to find a lot of people teaching, talking about some of these issues because remember the second thing that is important is that sanctification rarely will make you happy. Sanctification is to, to offend you. Sanctification is to 
press you to to sometimes hurt you in order to get what it needs to be done. God will deal with you. It's not it's not like a joyous thing. Come on, let's be sanctified. You know, that's scraping away of the old self. First thing he says here in verse 1 and 2 is that think of others over yourself. He said, talked about the love of people of God, show hospitality, which is a really another centered thing. And he talks about the second part here is care for others, the oppressed and suffering. Now you can see the selflessness in these things. Care for other people. I mean, I admit, I mean, I could drive by for years and just see guys the size I'm critical of why is he on the the sign you know why don't we go get a job McDonald's paying 15 bucks an hour why is he what is he doing over here and I'd roll down the window and the kids are you know everybody's freaked out Cindy's usually trying to get the window up and I'm like (laughs) and I'm like hey you know McDonald's right down the street is paying 15 dollars an hour and I know the manager I can get you a job oh no I don't want that you know but but you have something you want to give and it irritates me but I can tell you I have to decide in my heart that I need to, so there's something missing in his life, and I don't think about that. I just think about the superficial stuff. But the Lord's saying we need to care for others, the oppressed and the suffering. And he says, you know, look at your prisoner friends as if you were in prison. Um, and then for those who are mistreated as if you yourself were mistreated. I mean, it's sort of our approach. Difficult, but that's the way it is. Also, number three, protect your marital vows and relationship. For the sake of Christ. And this is verse 4. I mean, it just seemed to me like it was weird that he just dropped this in there. We were talking about loving others and caring for others and all of a sudden, bang, and take care of your marriage. Um, because it's so important to Christ. It's very sacred to God. It, it is a direct link to Christ and the church. There's only two ordained institutions, the church and marriage in the Bible. And so this is very, very important. He's like saying this on the way out, you know, before we would hit the door in the search warrant and say, look, I want you to make sure every, you're doing everything right. I'm doing everything left. You got that? Yeah, okay, let's do it. And I'm not trying to give him instructions on how to grip his gun or how to protect himself. I'm just saying, I want you to think about this. This is what the, this is what the Hebrew writer is doing. He's saying, look, before I leave this, before I go, you've got to think about these things. One of them was protect your marriage and your vows. Honor your marriage. Honor everything in, in, uh, in this whole thing is important. And then the fourth one, he says, be content. Be content with God's providence and what you have. And I put on here, God's providence is what God is doing. And we're going to unpack this. This is huge. God's providence is what God is actually doing in your life. Every step of the way... We face a circumstance or a challenge, a situation, and in that whole challenge, you are in God's providence. If you belong to him, this is random. It's not as random as we make it out to be. We want it to be random, so we're in control of it. But when we're really uh, thinking uh, scripturally, when we really are born again, we have the spirit of God in us, we are so important to God. He's doing a, if he's doing one thing, he's doing a million at the same time. And so it's not as random. He's saying, be content because God's providence will be doing something in your midst. And be content with what you have. And that's what God has already gave you, provided for you. Now, these are core issues. These are very deep core issues. And he says, focus on being satisfied with what you already have. That was 
verse 5b, focus on being satisfied. He gives two biblical promises here, knowing that God will never abandon you, God knowing that the Lord helps and protects us. That's a standard thing. I remember Schwarzkopf when he was, um, I think he was uh, presented the a French award by the French Foreign Legion. And uh, they were so in, enamored of his leadership. They told him, they said, whatever happens to you in life, if you call us, we will come and get you. No matter where you're at, no matter what country, your own country, it doesn't matter. If you call the French Foreign Legion, we, you are now one of us. We will come and get you. And he, I, I heard his testimony. He's like, he's like, you don't understand what that means, what they're going to risk to do something like that. That's the Lord. That's how the Lord operates. We have to function knowing that the Lord will come and get us, that the Lord will never forsake us, that he cares for us no matter what is happening to us. I don't think uh, Melissa could function without that. In the absence of Tom, I don't know how she can function without that. Because as soon as you switch back to poor me, the Lord will bring you right back and say, what about me? What about me? And so we're going to get down to some things that really cause some problems in our sanctification. I just want you to be aware of some of these things. You have to process it just like I've been working on this for three weeks, and it's just been brutal. It's been brutal. And, um, and I think I, what I did is I kind of summarized it um, in the marks of the new life in Christ. Some of the marks of me. So I kind of condensed that outline down to some major things I need to think about. Okay? And then we're going to unpack this. This is not even, this is just the intro to the lesson. Okay? <laughs> so I want you to see about, look at the fruit, look at the implication what's happening, and then I want you to see the theological action that's happening. Now, uh, some of it's no-brainer stuff because I'm preaching to the choir to some of you guys. I'm just... I just want to, I think we're missing some real important principles here. We're, doing, we're very reactive to our walk in Christ. We're not proactive. We're not dealing with the things that are really sinful in God's eyes, things that are, are contributing to the stumbling block of knowing him. Remember, even in that 2 Corinthians 10 passage, in verse 4 and 5, he said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, but they have, they have divine nature to tear down the strongholds that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and every lofty opinion against the Lord. That's where we're going, those two things today. But anyway, I, I wrote it down here in four things. There was five in the other one, but here's four things here. One of them is brotherly love. Um, and you can see the implications of absence of self. Now, we go back to my favorite book in the Bible, and it shouldn't be, but it is, is, you know, is 2 Corinthians 5, and he talks about those who he died for no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised from. I love that idea because he set a different narrow parameter of who's following Christ. It's a narrow parameter. People say, wow, that's awful narrow, Mark. Christ was very narrow. Yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about the world here. We're talking about those who belong to Jesus Christ. You're a a very unique group of people, very unique. And people in the world can't understand what we believe and why we believe what we do. But we, one thing is we do, we're not living to please ourselves. But you know what? We typically do, don't we? And, uh, and so there's some, one thing that kind of reverberates constantly over and over again. And, um, and it's this selfless, self, selfishness that 
really we're supposed to be selfless. So the number one thing is brotherly love. Can you imagine if you were going to resolve a problem and you had to isolate the problem and you, and we do this constantly in counseling, but you say, okay, this is the problem. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what we should be doing. And then you help a person see this in scripture, help them walk through that. And then you do the confrontation and then the reconciliation comes. But one thing is typically what's missing is that the whole action was an act of love. And the act of confrontation was an act of love, but it was a violation of love that got you there in the first place. That you were not acting in the best interest of the other person. But that wasn't really what was specified in your offense. Okay? And so love is, again, one of those things in your heart that has to be worked up, and you just can't make yourself love. You can make yourself be other-centered and do something. But to be sort of a reactive person that loves first, gives people the benefit of the doubt, holds no wrong. I mean, it really sees the First Corinthians 13 passage that Dan used to use constantly. I don't know if he still does, but that First Corinthians 13, it kind of identifies what true love is, and it's just a selfless, reckless abandonment of what's good for me. He puts this as the first on the list. He says, brotherly love, don't forget this. You're going to finish this walk, that's first century, some 60 A.D. And he's saying, now look, for eternity, is his word will never expire, try to remember that what we're doing is it loving. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Instead of following rules like a legalist would, we're saying, what is love? That's important. I think pretty much uh, Pastor Jeff has been teaching us that from the very beginning. Uh, modeling that from the very beginning. So we have uh, an interest for one another. That's what the one another's are so beautiful about, is that we're learning to love one another. And sometimes when it comes to Cindy and I, Cindy's not that easy to be around. I am. I know I am. Uh, well, maybe that's not true, is it? No. Well, you're sick. You have a sore throat. Never mind. You were talking about that. So, so we just, and, you know, my daughter-in-law just rolled her eyes. I saw that. Okay, so I understand that. So he starts with brotherly love. Yeah. Yeah. And then he goes to hospitality, which is an absence of self, because here I'm, I'm, I'm serving. That's the ultimate servanthood, is to be hospitable. When I think about hospitality, I think about Teresa. She's very hospitable. I don't want to embarrass her, but she does a really good job. There's several of you guys do that. There's so many of you that do that all the time, thinking of even Marilyn, how she's had a million people in her home. And most of them she thought were part of her kids that she just didn't know and they just came you know so hospitality is a really an issue of of selflessness and he goes on to compassion i mean sometimes it's hard to be compassionate when you see so much evil in the world today but we have to be compassionate that oozes out of your character it comes out and people see that and and it's and it's like a light on in the dark world it's salt uh, to those who are seeing this. And then he throws right a bomb in there, sexual purity. Sexual purity. It's important. In fact, um, <clears throat> when he's talking about sexual purity, he's talking about uh, an extension of the mark of the new birth. It, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a proof text. It's proof of the, of the evidence of the new birth in your life, sexual purity. Because he knew we had such a propensity to, to fulfill and satisfy ourselves that to be, to be pure before Christ that only takes the supernatural, could only do it, could only do that. And usually wolves 
that come into the flock or false teachers. Some of you see some of the high-profile uh, pastors and trillionaires of, of TBN and all those people. They typically are not sexually pure. I am friends with a Florida pastor, and his brother goes to, um, I'm not going to mention Creflo Dollar's name, but it's, he's, a, he's a rich guy, and he's been harassing his sister-in-law sexually for a long time. He just flirts with her constantly. Now, I don't know this firsthand. He's just telling me what his brother keeps saying to him. I don't know if it's a perception or not, but it's typical. It's typical that people in the absence of the Spirit of God will be, have, will be leaning and bent towards sexual immorality at some level. So he throws us in and says, hey, look, before we hit this house, I'm making a quick exit here. Keep yourself, keep the honor of the marriage bed. Keep yourself pure. That's interesting. But here's what I really think is um, the best part of this is part of my introduction. He talks about contentment, number five. And um, the contentment, I drew a line under that because I think all that having peace with God is evidence having peace with God is undergirded at the denominator, if you will, of that formula is to have the peace of God. I don't think without contentment you can have peace of God. I just don't believe it. I believe that there's turmoil in your life. If you are suffering, if you're murmuring, if you're, you're in constant restlessness, I believe that you're missing some of the benefits of real contentment. Um, and this contentment is a heart disposition and provides the peace of God. And here's sort of what I, um, I talk about. I think I put this on the paper. It's in little print for you. But I said the heart disposition is responsive, shaped and conditioned by the Spirit of God and our humble, humble submission to biblical truth. You just can't make yourself be content. Okay? You can correct yourself when you're not. You can train yourself by going back to the scripture. You can have some systems in place to bring you back and say, no, Mark, you're not supposed to grumble there. No, you shouldn't be complaining here. No, you, no, you should be happy here. No, this is what God is doing here. You, you can do some self-talk. But what's coming out of your heart when the pressures of life squeeze your heart, what comes out of that is the showing and revealing the condition of your heart. We have a term, and I've used it before, and so I'll be redundant with it since it's been a while, but Bernard King, my friend is a pastor in Florida I was telling you about, <clears throat> he, um, we came up with this saying back in 95 at, at First Baptist West Hollywood where we pastored there, and he said, he said, hey, you notice after we talk to us and we pray for him and they leave, and I look at him and say, what do you think? He's like, they're telling on themselves. They're telling on themselves. Do you know how many times we tell on ourselves? When we say, I just can't do this. Telling on yourself. No, but, you know, I only do that because they do this. Telling on yourself. You know, I, I just, yeah, but I just don't think, I don't see it reasonable. I don't know why God did this for me and I mean them and not for me. Telling on yourself. Telling on yourself. That's what it is. The heart has to be conditioned through the submission, humble submission to the word of God sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth, Jesus said. He didn't say 10 other ways of doing this, or the quadrilateral from Wesleyanism. No. The word of God does the work of God in the heart of the child of God. It's important. 
So, you can't make the heart content. You can restrain and correct it, the heart's expressions, but your disposition is conditioned over and over again in time by the spirit of humility. And so the Hebrew writer conveys all these thoughts. Now, I think, and I'm not sure why I made a note of this, but contentment can be, here's three things I just wrote about contentment, then I'll go on to some of these other things with time that we have left. Contentment is the DNA likeness of Christ himself. I always say if you want to be like Christ, forgive people because it's so other-centered. I mean, to be like Christ isn't to have all the religious notoriety, you know, all the, all the, all the accolades of, of being in the church and having a great, powerful ministry or being an um, eloquent teacher. But to be like Christ is to forgive. I mean, actually release people of an offense that they were guilty of. Now, I say this. Contentment is, is more supernatural than that. To be content with what you have, to be content with what God is doing in your life, whatever you're facing, uh, is more DNA evidence of Christ likeness. Also, I put on your contentment is proof of maturity and humility of the heart. It's proof. I mean, you find somebody who's proof. I mean, we were, and I'm glad she's not here this morning because we were blown away at, at Melissa coming up and testifying uh, at, you know, at church when, uh, at the funeral of Tom. And not only that, she shows up on Sunday. He dies on Friday, I guess, and Sunday. What day was it? Saturday? And Sunday, she shows up, and she tells her family. The brother told me, he said, they said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to church. He goes, why? She goes, well, what else would I be doing? I'm going to church. That's an act of faith. She's telling on herself. She's telling herself. It's proof of maturity, humility. It's a reckless abandonment of self so God can sanctify you. It's beautiful. Contentment is the highest level of sanctification with God. Piper said it this way, and he's famous for saying this. You'll recognize it. God is most pleased with us when we're most satisfied with him. Um, I'm going to close with this and just tell you... um, it has, has a lot to do with that, isn't it? I mean, think about that. We were helping a family a couple years ago who was angry at God and said some things that were pretty disturbing. And um, I learned something that day when I came in, because I was sitting there, we were trying to counsel them and help them. And, and we were just shocked that they were being open and honest. I just love that, because then you can help people, you know where they're at. But they was really disturbing some of the things that they were doing. And, and I came in and uh, talked to the elders because they want to know an update on this because we're praying for them and we're, we're trying to shepherd. I'm, I'm a sheep dog. I'm not an elder, so I have an elder. And, um, and so I help him. And we, um, we talked about it. And we said, said they're complaining that the Lord did this. And, um, and I told them exactly what they said. And it was, we were all shocked. But Pastor Jeff said something that I remember that it helps me. He said, it's okay, to, it's okay to question God, but it's never okay to indict God. 
because he's perfect. He's holy. He's without error. He can't even make a mistake. He doesn't have the ability to make a mistake. And I thought to myself, that is the essence of real life. You know, you know everybody says, well, I don't know. I you know, uh, had a profession of faith when they were five or seven and lived like the devil all this time. But it didn't matter. I remember back those days, you know. Oh, I remember going through Awanas. And, yeah, oh, I remember all those things that they did. Oh, but they used to run all the Awanas and go on and on and on, whatever it is. But when you hear the faith, when you see in action what Melissa was doing, it smells like Jesus. Amen? So, it's okay to question. This is just half of the introduction. We're going to finish it tomorrow, uh, next week, okay, if you come back. Keep your papers and bring them with you. They're $29.95 for handouts. If you need. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Question them or indict them. Which one? He says, yeah, yeah, David always says, Lord, what's going on? Why, are we, why is this happening? I'm not saying that. But when you, when you indict the goodness of God, you have stepped way over the line because the one thing we settle on, just like the, this, the verse 6 said, we have to remember that he'll never forsake you. When, you, when we step over the line, we are, we've lost the plumb line of our Christianity is that God is eternal holy and he has our best interests in mind he cannot make a mistake so we don't indict him we live for that reason thank you anybody else as we close father thank you for our time thank you for your grace and your mercy and may you be glorified in all this in jesus name amen